0: Good morning, everyone. Um, so uh, up until maybe two or three weeks ago, I was pretty excited about this topic, saying, you know, I, I'll, I'll get to talk about a lot of um, new drugs. And then we heard some interesting news, um, you know, uh, starting from late February into early April. And I was like, okay, um, Joe maybe knew something about this uh, ahead of me and, and gave this topic to me. Um, So I am going to talk about the small molecules in multiple myeloma, these are my disclosures. Um, I'm going to start off by making a couple of different um, statements to kind of set up the stage and you're going to see this theme throughout uh, the talks that you hear. Um, The first and foremost important one is myeloma is not one disease. Um, And we've started to recognize that the natural history of uh, certain subsets of myeloma are different. And we've started to think about um, designing clinical trials uh, based on that information. Uh, So this monoclonal gammopathy to active myeloma transition is dictated by the myeloma cell biology, the immune repertoire, as well as what's happening in the individual patient's bone marrow microenvironment. So all those three things kind of um, make um, an important um, impact on the natural history of disease in a given patient. That's why we need to target the cellular pathways based on normal and abnormal plasma cell biology, think about how can we uh, modulate the bone marrow microenvironment as well as the immune dysregulation uh, in a given myeloma patient. And, and that's, that's where you're going to be hearing about a lot of different strategies when it comes to small molecules and um, immuno, um, immunotherapy strategies. Uh, and why is that important? Uh, from a myeloma biology perspective, this is a very old slide, one of the Uh, most uh, utilized uh, figures um, that that we use to explain myeloma cell biology, uh, that even in a given patient, you have many different myeloma clones at the time of diagnosis, and if we are utilizing one mechanism of action to treat those patients, uh, we may be able to control one clone, but at the time of relapse, another clone emerges, and there is this clonal evolution and tiding concept, which helps us uh, you know, uh, think of this more conceptually. Um, and so co- combination chemotherapy is extremely important if we are going to have long-term disease control for myeloma. So this particular talk will cover data on venetoclax, which is a BCL-2 inhibitor, and Selenex or Xportin-1 or XPO-1 inhibitor. Um, And I'll share some of the challenges we have with each of these molecules, as well as some of the other molecules I'm just going to enlist that that we should be watching out for. So, you know, BCL-2 inhibition, um, BCL-2 is an um, um, uh, anti-apoptotic intermediary within the mitochondria, Um, which influences um, a cell's ability to either undergo cell death, under duress, uh, or survive. And venetoclax is a BCL2 inhibitor. Um, The early data that we um, uh, heard about venetoclax activity in myeloma specifically, you're probably already familiar with the CLL data and we will probably hear more about it, Um, was uh, from Shaji Kumar um, when he presented the data with relapsed refractory multiple specifically in the translocation 1114 patients. So when um, these investigators embarked on this clinical trial, they started to observe translocation 1114 patients having a favorable response. Um, This may feel like a busy slide, but if you look at uh, the left panel looking at overall response rate, um, you'll recognize um, that um, in the 66 patients, the overall response rate was 21%, but specifically in translocation, 1114 14 patients, um, the single agent activity was about 40%. And the time to progression and duration of response uh, were, was uh, fairly superior uh, for those patients. And, and this prompted um, uh, you know, uh, the thought that maybe we might be able to develop a biomarker-driven therapy for myeloma that targets the translocation 1114 patients. And then the investigators also looked at this uh, from a gene expression perspective um, on the plasma cells as well as the peripheral blood mononuclear cells and and found out that patients who have a high BCL2 to BCL2 L1 ratio, so that's that's another um, um, intermediary uh, molecule within the um, caspase death pathway um, that Patients who have the high um, uh, ratio actually are the ones who have the best response within that subgroup. So, I mean, the story was trying, you know, was coming together that you know we actually uh, not just have uh, a molecular subgroup um, that identifies uh, with a specific uh, small molecule, but you actually have an assay that you can utilize to predict. Okay, this patient is going to respond to this therapy, uh, versus this patient who will likely not respond. Um, so based on that, um, you know there was another trial. Philippe Moreau uh, presented combining uh, venetoclax with bortezomib and dexamethasone. Again, um, going after that um, um, BCL2 MCL1 pathway, and they too found that patients um, who who had venetoclax combined with bortezomib dexamethasone had a fairly high overall response rate, specifically in the one to three prior lines of treatment. Um, and translocation eleven fourteen patients um, uh, f- benefited um, um, pretty nicely. And there too, the BCL two BCL two L one uh, ratio came into play. So the high BCL two MCL one ratio patients actually had the better responses. Um, so. Uh, this is an example. This is a very important example. One, one of the things that um, you know, I wanted to share with you guys, and this is just a story, is plasma cell leukemia has an enrichment of translocation 1114, and we, you know that plasma cell leukemia is a very uh, aggressive clinical phenotype of myeloma, and patients die within six months of diagnosis. But this is a really nice story um, where venetoclax was utilized in a plasma cell leukemia patient, um, and and patient responded very well, uh, becoming MRD negative. You know, these kind of stories are kind of unheard of. So all of these things were getting us excited about venetoclax, uh, you know, looking forward to the Phase three clinical trial data, but, but you know, we, we actually had a downer last week, um, and we're still trying to, you know, um, we're still struggling with how to um, uh, reconcile um, the wonderful biologic story, um, the, you know, the clinical response uh, and the depth of response we're seeing with venetoclax combinations, but there's a higher um, incidence of death. So this is the Bellini trial, which was comparing venetoclax VD versus VD in early relapse myeloma patients, one to three prior lines of treatment. Um, if you look on the left side, it's a very busy slide. You have this data in your, um, in your packet. Uh, you'll see that the median PFS uh, on the experimental arm is twice um, as, as high as the standard of care arm. Um, the response rates are higher. Um, there seemingly isn't a lot of difference in, in the specific um, uh, SAEs, serious adverse events, grade three or five, uh, three, you know, three to four. Uh, but the number of patients who died on the study, um, you know, that, that's the figure on the right, the Kaplan-Meier curve you're seeing. Um, The red one is the placebo arm. The blue one is the venetoclax, uh, bortezomib, dexamethasone arm. Um, So, you know, we're we're waiting for more data uh, to try to understand why this happened um, and whether there is still, um, um, you know, hope for for this drug. My feeling is that um, the 737 MAX will fly again. Um, So uh, we just need to figure figure out what really happened here. So is it active in myeloma? Yes. You know, which myeloma subset benefits? We just don't know. You know, is it just translocation 1114? Is it um, the BCL2L1 BCL2, ratio high patients? Um, you know, no cardiac history. Is there a specific thing in the cardiac history that led to some of those cardiac uh, deaths? Role of prophylactic antibiotics or IVIG if infections are, are an issue. So, you know, we, we'll get to learn more about that um, over the coming months. Um, the next pathway is the exportin-1 pathway. Exportin-1 is a is a protein on the nuclear surface. It's a nuclear expor, export export um, uh, 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 pore complex protein, and it helps facilitate the movement of different proteins, such as you know the tumor suppressor protein p53 uh, and others, in and out of um, uh, the nucleus. Um, so the hypothesis here was if you block X-portin-1, you're essentially trying to reverse or enrich you know, those tumor suppressor genes inside the nucleus and thus um, you know, killing the cancer cell. Um, so selenexor is the first-in-class drug. Uh, the initial phase one data that we saw was in, in a combined study looking at multiple myeloma as well as Waldenstrom's, um, where there was certainly clinical activity uh, of um, you know, with or without dexamethasone. Um, this eventually led to a larger uh, Phase two trial um, in patients who had uh, proteasome inhibitor immunomodulatory drug um, resistant myeloma. And these data were presented um, by uh, our colleague Dan Vogel from UPenn and, and published last year. Um, this is just salient features of, of patients' um, um, clinical characteristics. I do want to highlight that they really wanted to focus on that quadruple refractory, so you know, patients' refractory to bortezomib, carfilzomib, lenalidomide, as well as um, um, uh, pomalidomide, and then pentorefractory that included a monoclonal antibody. And what they saw was the response rates um, uh, were fairly similar across each of those subgroups, um, you know, a little over 20, 20%. One of the issues with, with this drug, drug however, uh, was the side effect profile. So it's, it was uh, very difficult to give on its own because of the nausea, the vomiting, the fatigue. Um, if it wasn't um, a cancer drug, it could be a really nice weight loss drug. Um, so, uh, so they, the way that they've, uh, they have very aggressive supportive care measures during the first cycle of treatment. Um, so if patients are going to have symptoms, it's usually in the first cycle, and, and you kind of manage them appropriately and get them through, and there, there's a GI tolerance eventually uh, to some of those side effects. Out of the cytopenias, the, you know, thrombocytopenia is probably more pronounced um, uh, side effect uh, observed. So, um, you know, Um, You've probably heard the news from the FDA. Um, You know There was an ODAC hearing late February on the Phase 2 data um, that was going to lead to accelerated approval, followed by a readout of the early phase relapse study combined with bortezomib dexamethasone. Um, And the ODAC hearing, um, unfortunately I was there as well, uh, came back negative. Um, So we're still waiting to hear from from the FDA whether it gets approved as a single agent for those pentorefractory patients or not. Um, uh, around the same time, you know, this study was, was being done combining selinexor with bortezomib and dexamethasone, and um, this is just a snapshot of of what was seen uh, in the phase one study. An overall response rate of eighty four percent in PI non uh, refractory myeloma patients with a median PFS of around seventeen point eight months. Um, safety profile. Um, interestingly, uh, now that investigators had figured out um, how to utilize Selenaxor and deal with some of those side effects. Um, the, the safety profile was a little better when combined with bortezomib dexamethasone. So there's a learning curve piece of it. Um, you know, we've been lucky in myeloma that uh, a lot of drugs outside of the old-fashioned cytotoxics, we haven't had to deal with the NCCN guidelines with nausea, vomiting, you know, how to manage some of those side effects. Um, so you can, you know, utilize some of the solid onk management uh, strategies into myeloma and, and make uh, sort tolerable for patients. So, you know, there are, um, so, so the Pivotal Phase 2 uh, had a negative ODAC hearing on the 26th of February. Um, I believe um, the company meets with uh, um, Carrier uh, sorry, with the FDA again um, in a week or two, uh, and, and there might be some, some positive news. It might get, uh, you know, maybe approval or in a, in a small um, defined subset of patients, uh, and we may have access to it. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if that does not happen, then we still we have to wait out for the phase three to read out, which would be in a very different patient population, one to three prior lines of treatment combined with Velcade well, uh, and dexamethasone. So, um, you know, my original plan on giving this talk was, was to talk about what's, what's, you know, what's to come down the road, and there are a lot of small molecules. You know, they're listed here. Um, we've got the cell mods, MCL1 inhibitors, Bromodomain inhibitors, um, you know, or, or, or Protax, you know, they, they, they have several different names, uh, but uh, essentially targeting proteolysis um, uh, within the cell, MDM2 inhibitors, um, and then some of the uh, next generation proteasome inhibitors like merizumib or oprozumib, the story isn't dead with them. Um, so um, that's about it. Um, I would end my talk here, um, just acknowledging my team and hand it over back to Joe. Thank you.